Good morning. Certainly a blessing to be here in the service and worship of our Heavenly Father. We appreciate your decision to be here with us this morning. We recognize there were a million other places that you could have been. We're so grateful and blessed that you've chosen to be here with us. For the visitors here this morning, we extend a warm welcome to you as well and trust that you've enjoyed the service so far and pray that you've found a place that worships in spirit and in truth. And we would invite you to stick around a little while after services and let us introduce ourselves and get to know you and your family a little bit better. If you would, we're going to dive right into the study. Grab a Bible in front of you or, or open the Bible app on your phone, whichever you prefer, and go ahead and turn to Ezekiel, the first chapter. Ezekiel, the first chapter. We're going to read a few verses there as we begin our study for the morning. Ezekiel, chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Reads this. It says, Now it came to pass in the thirtieth year, in the fourth month, in the fifth day of the month, that I, as I was among the captives by the river of Kabar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. In the fifth day of the month, which was the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar. And the hand of the Lord was there upon him. So what we have here is the fact that Ezekiel is a prophet of God, serving God's people during their Babylonian enslavement. The text shows us that Ezekiel is 30 years old, and it shows us that Ezekiel is among the captives. So Ezekiel's living as a captive, enslaved in Babylon, and God comes to him with a vision. And this vision, it tells us also that it occurs in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin's captivity. And Ezekiel is now the prophet of God in a land where God's people are enslaved. The other important thing I want you to notice is the wording there in verse 3. If you want to read with me, it says, The word of the Lord came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. Ezekiel the priest. But what does that mean? It means that Ezekiel was of a priestly family. It means Ezekiel was set to serve God in the great temple. It means Ezekiel was going to have a perfect life. He was going to serve God in his temple and serve as a priest under Jehoiachin's reign. But all that changes, doesn't it? Jehoiachin is carried off into captivity along with Ezekiel and all the great things that Ezekiel had planned for his life have now changed. Instead of being the great priest Ezekiel thought he was going to be, Ezekiel finds himself under Babylonian captivity. He doesn't know if he'll ever serve as a priest that he'd been dreaming of his entire life. I want you to think about it for a few moments as we begin this morning, where you're at in your life right now. I want you to think about all the things you have going on in your life and all the places that you've gone, all the decisions you've made that have landed you right here this morning. Maybe some of us can look at our lives and say, you know what, it's, it's been perfect. Everything I wanted to do, everything I wanted to accomplish, all my dreams, my desires, everything I could possibly want, to happen has gone right. And Ethan, my life is perfect. But the truth is, most of us can't say that. Tribulations and trials, work and family, situations out of our control, situations that have taken us out of our view of our personal plan for our life, and that fairy tale that we have planned out is no longer in the picture, but rather in the rearview mirror. I want to suggest to you this morning that this may have been the exact feeling that Ezekiel was having back in 592 B.C. When everything seemed like it couldn't have been going better for Ezekiel, 
He was about to turn 30 years old, or he was 30 years old. And in Numbers chapter 4, we find that they entered the priesthood at age 30. So Babylon is going to bring him and everyone he knows into captivity at age 25. That's not how life was supposed to go for Ezekiel. That's just not fair. How could that possibly be? Why would God allow that to happen? His future, his plans, his dreams crushed in a single moment. And it's probably pretty easy to venture to say that you've probably felt like this before. Maybe in the loss of a loved one, maybe a disease or diagnosis, maybe it's the crushed hope of having a family, a lost job, whatever the case is, life changes Unexpected events and trials come our way, and plans and visions are shattered, just like Ezekiel. But I want you to notice something as we begin our study for the morning, is that even though all those plans are crushed, even though all of Ezekiel's dreams aren't going to come true, Ezekiel found himself in a position to serve God. He wasn't going to be Ezekiel the priest. He wasn't going to be that person in the temple, that priest in the temple, but he was going to be a prophet to the captives and to God's people. Not quite the position in the spot he had dreamed of being in, but I want you to understand this morning that Ezekiel served God despite those broken plans. Ezekiel served God where he could, and Ezekiel served God where he was at. This morning is going to be the first sermon in a series of sermons I'm going to cover over the next few times I speak on Sunday morning, and that series is going to focus on the idea of serving God where you're at. This morning is going to center around serving God through trials. The second one is going to shift our attention to the kids here and focus on how to serve God in your youth. And the third and final sermon in the series is going to focus on serving God when no one else around you is. And what we're going to focus on throughout this entire series is using whatever situation we find ourselves in, whatever area we are in our life, whatever we're going through, using that situation to find a way to serve and glorify God. So if you would, as we begin this morning, go ahead and turn over to uh, Philippians, the first chapter. Philippians, the first chapter, and that's where we're going to point out a mindset that Paul had. We're not going to take the time to read it this morning, but if you recall, Paul was beaten and shipwrecked and all these other things that happened to Paul. Paul had a really rough life after he committed to the spreading of the gospel, and the church of Philippi would have been cognizant of these things. So let's pick up in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. We're going to read through verse 26. It says, But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I will therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, 
but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I would not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Keep a bookmark there in Philippians. We're going to be bouncing back and forth between some of these scriptures here. But the first thing that I want us to notice, and the first thing that we need to recognize when we talk about serving God through trials, is that your trials, no matter what they are, your circumstances, the situation you find yourself in, can be used to the advancement of the gospel of Christ. And I'll say that again, our circumstances can lead to the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to take a look back at verse 12 in that passage. Paul writes this, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. You know what Paul recognizes there? Is that his trials, his heartaches, the horrible things he's gone to have led to the furtherance of the gospel. That's a pretty difficult view to have, isn't it? The society and world we're in today teaches us and slams it down the throats of our youth that you alone are the most important thing in the universe. You alone are what matter. So we jump in our little box as humans and all we can see is what's going on right here and right now in our lives. But what we often forget is God sees the bigger picture. You see, God has a plan for you. And His plan and His will for your life is perfect. Paul recognizes that his circumstances can be used to further the gospel of Christ, and he chooses to focus on the bigger picture. This is a very difficult concept for us to grasp. An even more difficult concept to grasp when you're going through tough times. Why would God allow that terrible thing to happen to me? Why does God allow bad things to happen to people who are trying to live for him? Why would God take my mother from me? Why would God take my child from me? And any other reason of a million things I could come up with, why? I want you to think about something for a brief second. Just a brief moment, let's consider a thought. Do you think Paul ever felt like that? Even for a split second, do you think Paul, while being whipped and beaten by Rome, sitting in a cold cell night after night, ever thought for one second, why is God doing this to me? And if you've thought about it more than two seconds, you've thought too hard. Because the answer is yes. Paul at some point, I believe, probably had a short thought of wondering why these things are happening to him. You want to know how I know that? Look at verse 12. He felt it was necessary to address why he was going through these trials to the church at Philippi for the furtherance of the gospel. At the same time, however, Paul takes a different stance than most of us, including myself, probably would. In fact, I'd say Paul takes a borderline godly approach in his understanding of the trials, and I want to explain to you what I mean by that. You see, God operates outside of time, outside of space, and outside of matter. That's what makes him God. That's what allows him to create time, space, and matter is because he operates outside of time, space, and matter. And if God operates outside of time, which we know he does, 
He sees the entire timeline of his plan perfectly played out. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what you're going to do and knows what is going to happen to us. And he uses that to further his will. To illustrate this concept, let's take the Apostle Paul, for example. The way the Bible's written allows us a small glimpse into the omnipresent nature of God. It gives us a brief understanding of this concept. Take a look at Paul's life and his timeline, for example. He comes in as Saul of Tarsus. He's converted in Acts 9 after persecuting the church around 34 A.D. He spends the rest of his life preaching and spreading the gospel of Jesus. Jesus, And he would endure more persecution and trials than you and I could ever imagine. He would be in prison multiple times, and then eventually history tells us he was beheaded by Nero in 64 A.D. It's the briefest overview of Paul's life I can give you. And from a worldly perspective, doesn't seem too fun, does it? Just to show a hands, how many of us woke up this morning and said, man, it sure would be nice if I could go through some of the stuff Paul did. What a blessing that would be. Not a single hand. And it would be very easy for Paul in those trials, in those moments, looking inside of his little box to say, man, this is horrible. I'm in prison. I've been beaten. I've been whipped. I've been mocked, persecuted, and I'm probably going to be martyred. Martyred All for what? Why couldn't God allow me an easier life? All I'm trying to do is spread his word. But you and I understand the greater purpose of Paul's ministry. You and I understand the importance of the Apostle Paul. You and I understand why those things happened so that the gospel could be spread. You and I see these things from the eyes of God, at least for a brief moment. We see the tribulations of Paul in multiple verses, but we don't ever focus on those. You want to know why? It's because even in those trials, Paul's writing has influenced millions and millions of people. I got news for you. Paul's willingness to spread that word and his willingness to record that word has allowed Brent Fisher to understand that love is patient and that love is kind. Paul's enduring of those trials is what allows Dad and Tim to make decisions based on the truth in God's word that's best for this flock here. Paul enduring those trials and focusing on the bigger picture through those trials has allowed Jeff McFadden to understand that he's a sinner in need of a Savior. And Paul's enduring of those trials would allow him to record words inspired by the Holy Spirit that a lost soul, dirty rag, no good sinner like Ethan Hanley could read and be pricked in his heart and moved in faith to the obedience of the gospel of Jesus Christ, being baptized for the remission of my sins. That's the power of Paul's life. That's the power and impact that his actions and his words have on my life and your life. And that's a brief overview. There's way more than that. But it would all be for naught. None of this would have happened if Paul, while receiving those lashes, while being beaten for the tenth time, decided, you know what? This just didn't worth it. If he would have taken a logical human approach to this thing, he should have walked away. But he didn't. And he didn't because he understood that his trials could serve to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that enduring those trials would save sinners beyond his lifetime. If you want to serve God through your trials this morning, understand that your trials could serve to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The second thing that I wish for us to notice this morning about serving God when you're in trials is that Christ can still be preached and Christ can still be magnified in the midst of a trial. Look back at verse 20 in Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20, Paul records this. He says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Focus on the last part of that verse there. Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. You know what Paul's saying there in a very simplified way? It doesn't matter what's going to happen to him. It doesn't matter what's going on in his life. Christ is the focus, and Christ is what my life is about, not me. Magnifying Christ or exalting Christ, by definition, is minimizing yourselves. And I'll say that again. Magnifying Christ is, by definition, minimizing yourself. But Ethan, how am I supposed to minimize myself? How am I supposed to exalt Christ when all these things are going on in my life? How am I supposed to exalt God when He's allowing me to suffer? You focus on the things you have. You focus on the blessings God's already given you and you take that trial, you take that tribulation and you use it to show others the power of Christ and the blessing of the gospel. You magnify Christ above yourself. You know, I was in the hospital a few months ago, not, not me, I was doing clinicals in the hospital, and we had a patient that had a really bad case of COVID. A patient was intubated, extubated, and then was intubated again. This man was struggling, a younger man, mid-30s with a wife that I would sit and talk to throughout the days in the ICU. Devout Christian man. His wife was talking to me one day after he had been re-intubated about 45 minutes after the intubation. She was telling me that they had been trying for 12 years to have a child. And two weeks before her husband entered the hospital, they got word she was pregnant with their first baby boy. In the middle of this conversation, I see the monitor up above above his head start beeping. The rhythm he went into was called ventricular tachycardia, and his oxygen levels begin to fall. I push past the wife, myself, and others hit the code button and begin what would turn into an hour-long rescue attempt that would eventually be unsuccessful after 10-plus rounds of resuscitation and countless cardioactive drugs. Being in that situation, your adrenaline spikes. You're in survival mode. You're focused on your job, doing your assigned tasks, making sure the compressions are deep enough, drawing up the drugs, playing your part on the team. But as soon as those words are said, as soon as that code's over with, it hits you what just happened. I walked out, and the first thing I see is his pregnant wife crying in the corner of the unit. All I could think of was that baby growing up without a father. And you think when you walk over to someone in that situation that you have the words, the courage, the wisdom, whatever it is, to say something that's going to help, but the truth is, you don't. The truth is, you look them in the eyes and you see that wife that no longer has a husband, that baby that's going to grow up without a father, and you lose it. And all you can do is hope you can somehow support one another. After talking to his wife, we go back in the room where the body is. We begin taking out all the tubes and wires, and we notice something in his hand. Before he went into intubation the last time, 
he takes his necklace off and held his necklace in his hand. It was a custom engraved cross, and on the back said Psalms 46.10. And if you haven't been here the last few weeks for Jeff's sermons, that says, Be still and know that I am God. The nurse with me sees it and immediately breaks down. She goes on to tell me that every time she would care for this young man, while he was awake and extubated at least, he would ask her to read him things out of the Bible. She said he would talk about the goodness of God and how when the world is going bad, when his life is in shambles, the walls are dropping around him, God chose to bless him with a son. He talked about the importance of trials and talked about the longing he had to share Christ with his baby boy one day. He told the nurse one day he didn't understand why he was in the hospital, didn't understand why that was God's plan, but he trusted God's plan. And despite it all, he would serve God. Brethren, that's what it means to magnify God in trials. This man was on his deathbed and spent the last few moments he had on earth, awake at least, sharing the love of God with the nurses around him. He took the time. He used the situation he was in. He used that trial and found a way to serve God where he was at. The third thing I want us to glean about serving God in trials is that trials can present a unique opportunity to comfort others. Going back to Philippians chapter 1, look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, For, me, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But, that, but if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Let's break those down for a minute and gain a better understanding of what Paul's saying here. He says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But what does that mean? The comparison is set between two active verbs, living and dying. And these two verbs are also connected to things as well, living being connected to Christ and dying being connected to the idea of gaining something. But what's Paul going to gain? His reward, right? His promise of eternal life. His faith will be his eyes and he'll spend eternity in heaven with his Savior. And what a wonderful thing that is. What a great thing to be desired, an honorable thing to look towards. In fact, you should look towards it as well. In fact, in verse 23, he says he has a desire to depart. And then he's betwixt the two. In other words, Paul's saying he's fighting this longing he has of meeting a Savior and the need to spread and live for Christ. That's the comparison. And he concludes that abiding in the flesh is more needful for you. That being the church at Philippi. What I want you to get from this passage is that trials can generate an opportunity to comfort and serve others. Remember, like we said earlier, Paul's writing from a prison here. It's not, an irrational of Paul, it's not really irrational of Paul to entertain the thought of being in heaven with Christ instead of being chained to a prison cell. It's not hard to understand where he's coming from. But he recognizes that his life, even filled with problems, filled with trials, literally being chained to the walls he's writing this down, can still serve to the edification and needs of others. Paul synchronizes a similar thought in his second letter to the Corinthians in the first chapter. If you want to turn there with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Keep Philippians chapter 1 marked, but turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and Zoel gave a powerful message over this exact idea a few months ago, but we're going to read this again. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ also abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so shall you also be of the consolation. I want you to notice a few similarities and complementing ideas between the two passages of Paul. Speaking of Philippians chapter 1 and 2 Corinthians 1. Paul coordinates this idea of abiding in the flesh being more needful for the church at Philippi with the idea of comforting those who are in trouble. Paul also stated early in verse 12 that he wants the church at Philippi to understand that his trials could be used to serve to the furtherance of the gospel. And notice what he says in verse 6 here in 2 Corinthians 1. That if we be afflicted, speaking of the apostles' affliction, it is for your consolation and salvation. Or if they are comforted, it is for their consolation and salvation. A very simplified explanation of this synchronization of Scripture is simply that when we are facing trials, we have an opportunity to use those trials to comfort and exhort others to their consolation and salvation. But what in the world does all that fancy terminology mean? It means we can use our trials to help others going through similar trials. And isn't that a beautiful way to serve in the kingdom of God? Isn't that a perfect opportunity to serve God where you're at? You ever battled something or gone through something or see someone going through something that you've battled before? You ever seen someone facing challenges in their life that you've struggled with and you look at them and you feel for them? Feel a sense of sympathy, not empathy, but sympathy because you've been there. You've gone through it. You know what it feels like. You know what the day-to-day struggles look like. You know what it tastes like. Got some news for you this morning. If you've ever felt that way before and you didn't reach out and give your shoulder to cry on, if you didn't offer encouraging words, if you didn't offer that consolation, you missed an opportunity to use your trials and tribulations to serve God and serve His people. And brothers and sisters, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much time. A simple hug, a thoughtful text message, a card sent to someone going through similar trials could make all the difference. And this concept isn't and shouldn't be foreign to us at all. But for some reason, we don't think to be that advocate and comfort others like we should. We'll use our knowledge and our experience and our wisdom to teach others how to navigate an innumerous amount of tasks and situations, but when it comes to personal problems, for some reason, we lock up. And that open book, so full of experience and so full of knowledge, closes. And we let our brothers and sisters go through trials on their own. We don't offer words. We don't offer encouragement. And we don't offer advice. This is something that we have to be excelling at as Christians. This is something we have to work on. And it's something we need to help others with. I'm reminded of a passage found in the book of Titus in chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me. Titus chapter 2. 
Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> says this, But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husband, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Paul teaches the older women to teach the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands and to love their children. You ever wonder why Paul doesn't tell the young men to teach the young women to love their husbands? You ever wonder why Paul doesn't tell the older men to teach the younger women to love their husbands? Probably because they have no experience in that. Probably because they wouldn't know the first thing about loving a man in a marital relationship. Or maybe it's because older women have experience and knowledge in those things and can help younger women go through and succeed through similar seasons in their life. And wouldn't it be a blessing to the church? Wouldn't it be an advantage to us here if every time we face something, every time we encounter trials, every time we lose a loved one, every time we feel discouraged, overwhelmed, depressed, whatever the case is, someone takes the time to step in and provide that wisdom, provide that encouragement. Give us those words that give us the strength to trust God. If we can do that, if we can throw the pride and possible fears away about someone knowing our personal problems, I venture to say that we would be a stronger, closer, more godly group of people here at La Prada Drive Church of Christ. And what a blessing that would be. I challenge you this morning, if you're in trials, if you're facing these things, use it as an avenue to comfort others. Use it as an opportunity to grow closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And use it as an opportunity to serve God where you're at. The final thing that I want us to consider when discussing this idea of serving God through trials is that trials allow us to serve God by strengthening our faith and the faith of those around us. Reflecting back on the passage of Philippians chapter 1, look in verse 25 and 26. It says, In having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me, by my coming to you again. I want you to notice something that Paul says that is very, very specific. He says, I shall abide and continue with you, the church at Philippi, for your furtherance and joy of faith. Breaking that down grammatically, we have this preposition for, following the base sentence, Paul stating he will abide with them. But this prepositional phrase gives us specific insight into Paul's reasoning for abiding with the Philippians. He could have just said, I'll abide and continue with you. Have a great day. But he didn't. He tells them that he will abide with them. For why? For the furtherance and of their joy and faith. This connects and allows us to use Scripture to interpret Scripture to find out exactly why his staying in the flesh was more needful for Philippi. Why was it more needful? So their faith and joy could be multiplied. And this is a great passage for us to take away, a great message that we can glean from, that we can serve God through trials by increasing our faith and the faith of those around us. 
That's the attitude that we need to have when serving God through trials. Not the attitude that questions and says, why has God allowed this to happen to me? But the attitude of how can I use these trials to strengthen and build my faith and strengthen my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a hard thing to do. When life hits you, it's really hard to focus on anything but what's right in front of you. It's hard to stay connected to God when going through something like that, much less take that situation and allow it to strengthen your faith. As we close this morning, I want to give you three simple ways, three minor changes to think about and implement while enduring these trials that can help you strengthen your faith and the faith of those around you. The first way to serve God through trials and allow trials to strengthen your faith is to recognize the power of God in comparison to the trials that you're facing. And I'll say that again. You need to recognize the power of God in comparison to the trials that you're facing. Paul records this in his second letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4. If you want to turn there with me, we're going to read a few verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Paul writes this to the church at Corinth. He says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. If you remember the context of the passage there, Paul's discussing this idea of God, God's light shining into the hearts of men. Discussing the gospel and the power of God coming into men like Paul and his companions. And in verse 7, Paul compares himself and his companions to an earthen vessel. Use Greek wording and interpretation, you'll find that he's talking of a good made on earth. Something like a clay pot is what I think of back in that time and states that God has allowed His power and His gospel to be put into worthless vessels. And that's the comparison from Paul. God allows His gospel and power to be in worthless men. Men that crumble, men that sin, men that fail, and men that break like an earthen vessel. But why? Why would God allow this treasure, this power to be in something so corruptible? And the answer Paul gives us in verse 7 is that the excellency of the power may be of God and not the vessel. He goes on continuing this comparison saying he's troubled, perplexed, persecuted, cast down. Paul's gone through some trials. We talked about those earlier. He's gone through some stuff. But his counter to these points is that he's not distressed. He's not in despair, he's not forsaken, and he's not destroyed. And the reason he is not crushed, the reason he's not destroyed, is so that the power is of God and that Christ can be made manifest in his body. Paul uses these things, uses these comparisons to show you that his trials have shown and allowed him to recognize the power of God in his life so that his life is therefore a manifestation of Jesus Christ. And what a heart that is. It's almost the same heart James had in James 1 verse 2. He says to count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You see, to think your trials and that your tribulations overcome the power of God in your life is insanity. 
And the first step to building your faith through trials and serving God is to recognize the power of God in your life compared with those trials. The second thing that can help you use your trials to strengthen your faith is to recognize that trials serve as an opportunity to elevate God over yourselves and rely on God instead of our own understanding. Proverbs 3.5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Did you ever try to push through difficult times and justify why something happened to you? I've tried it. Doesn't work out very well. Most of the time we can figure out why those things are happening. For example, if you go to a casino and blow your life savings, your lack of finances are not out of your control. It's because you went to a casino and blew all your money. If you don't put oil in your car and that engine blows, your financial hardship is because you didn't put oil in your car. But what about when your father's diagnosed with ALS? What about when your brother's diagnosed with cancer? What about when a loved one loses a baby or when loved ones can't have a baby at all? Where does your understanding lie then? To who or what do you go to reason and justify why these things are happening? And I can tell you, if you've gone through those things before, if you try to justify why those things are happening, you end up fruitless. But it's in these times that you have a choice. It's in these times that one of two things will happen. You will either let that situation break you down, you'll blame it all on God, and your faith becomes a vapor. Or the second way, you use this situation, you turn to God, you lean on Him for understanding, and instead of wasting away, your faith is strengthened. You rely on God for understanding, and your relationship with Him grows, strengthening your faith in the midst of a trial, allowing you to serve God through that trial and serve God where you're at. The final thing that can help you to use your trials to strengthen your faith is by leaning on your brothers and sisters in Christ for comfort. We talked about the opposite of this earlier, about the idea of using your trials to comfort others during their trials. But what I want to focus on as we come to a close is the importance of ourselves leaning on our brothers and sisters in Christ for comfort. And what a blessing that is. What a great thing it is to have a family in Christ that cares for you and a family that loves you. Galatians 5.13 says this, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Philippians, 2, or Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. I don't know how often you've thought about how blessed we are here at La Prada. We have a body of like-minded Christians who serve one another in all things. And one of the things we do, one of the commands we have is to bear one another's burdens. And just like we talked about earlier with serving God by comforting others, allowing our brothers and sisters to carry and help bear our burdens can produce a greater faith for both of us and allows you to serve God through your trials. When you have something you're facing, call someone here. When you get that diagnosis, talk to someone here. Spend time with your brothers and sisters here. Fall on their shoulder and cry because I promise you they'll catch you and they'll help you stand. We've all been through trials. 
We've all been through rough times. Be the Christian who relies on the love and care of your brothers and sisters. Because I promise you in doing that, in humbling yourself, your faith will be built up. And you'll serve God where you're at. This morning we've discussed the first part of serving God where you're at. And we've looked specifically at the idea of serving God through trials. We've discussed how your trials can serve to expand the kingdom of God by furthering the gospel of Christ. We talked a little bit about how you can serve God by magnifying Him through trials. We then talked about serving God by using your trials to comfort His people going through similar things. And we close with the truth of the matter, that you can serve God by allowing your trials to build your faith and build the faith of those around you. But maybe this morning you've realized that your response to trials isn't exactly matching up with God's plan. Maybe you feel crushed by a weight that you can't bear on your own, and that's okay. You have a Lord and Savior extending His healing hand to you this morning, a family here waiting with open arms to bear those burdens for you. As we sing this song in a moment, I want you to think about a time in your life when you were closest to God. A time in your life where you were in His Word every day. A time when persecution, trials, tribulations, perils, nakedness, sword, nothing could separate you. And I'm here to tell you this morning that if that day, that moment you're thinking of is not right here and right now, you've grown apart from God. And you need a Savior. A Savior who extends that hand of mercy and forgiveness. A Savior who says, come to me with your trials, come to me with your problems, your burdens, and I will give you rest. If we can assist you in any way this morning, we stand as a family who loves you, a family who needs you. So please come forward as we stand and as we sing.